Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call with your home improvement project questions. That's what we do. We answer them, help you get uh, the project done on time, on track, and on budget. And if you got hung up with a part of that project and you don't know which way to turn, or maybe you're just not ready to begin because you got open questions about what you want to get done, those are all great questions to ask us. You can get in touch with us several ways. You can call us 24-7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. Leave your your question and we will call you back the next time we're in the studio or you can post that question to moneypit.com coming up this hour are you thinking about organizing your laundry room and maybe even upgrading what you're using in there well high efficiency washers are on the rise and energy star certified dryers can cut energy usage by an impressive 25 percent that is a lot but are these more efficient and more expensive washers and dryers a smart buy yeah, and we can all use a little more sunshine this time of year. Spotless windows can help. So we've got some tips on how to clean your windows like a pro. And you won't even need any paper towels. Yeah, those are, you know, in high demand these days. So That's let's right. use them wisely, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Valentine's Day is around the corner. And are you feeling maybe a little extra romantic? Maybe you're wondering what the best sheets are to cuddle up in. Well, we've got pros and cons of every material from Egyptian cotton to bamboo in today's smart spending tip. But first, we want to hear your how-to questions. So here's how to reach us. Call us now at one eight 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 Money Pit or post your question to moneypit.com. Let's get to it. Karen in Nebraska is having some issues with her automated lighting. What can we do for you? Well, I have a porch light on the side of the house and one in the front of the house. I got these timers. The one in the back works perfectly fine. Um, at dusk, it'll come on, and and then in you know in the, when the daylight comes, it'll turn off, and the one on the front will not, so I took the timer back on the front, and I thought, well, maybe it was a faulty timer, but it still doesn't work, and I had a man look at it, and he can't figure out why it's not working. Um, it would be helpful if that, that one would work, too, because now, you know, I have to turn it off and on. But the switch works, so you know that without the timer, it comes off and on. It's just when you add the timer into this. What kind right. of timer is this? Is it the kind of timer that, that takes the place of the switch, or, or what? Well, it, you just screw the light bulb into this timer, and then oh, you I screw see. the whole unit into the, um, you know, the, in the light bulb area. Uh, this probably isn't it, but are you using a um, high energy efficiency bulb in one or the other? Well, I, I thought about using those. At this point, I'm using 40-watt bulbs. Okay, just regular incandescents? Uh-huh. Huh. And you've tried two of these, and they're still not working? Right. But without it, the light comes on and off normally? Right. Wow, it sounds like it sounds like something's wrong with the timer. Um, I wonder if, because of the configuration of the way the timer screws into the fixture itself, that maybe it's not making contact. Like for example, sometimes when you have a timer that screws into the socket where the bulb goes, and then you screw the bulb into the timer, maybe it doesn't get close enough to actually make contact. 
because the fixture is a little bit different. That's the only thing that really comes to mind on this, Karen, because it wouldn't make sense that, it, that it's not working. Have you done this? Have you taken one that doesn't work in the front and screwed it in in the back and see if it works in the back? Is that I did. Prove- I did. And, and then I took the one from the back and put it, and into put it the in the front. front. And it didn't work either. So. so then I think it's pretty clear that for whatever reason, the timer is not getting power from the light fixture. How would I so, be able to fix that? Well, you got to try to look at it closely and figure out why that's happening. Now, this may sound crazy, but, you know, I actually had a light fixture inside my home, a lamp that I've had for a gajillion years that suddenly stopped working. And I thought, oh, I have to replace the socket. What's going on with this? And I brought it to an electrician friend of mine who looked inside the socket, and there was a little tab that the bulb makes contact with. And I guess over the, I think we've had it 10 years, of push, you know, putting in light bulbs, we may have gotten aggressive, and the tab just got pushed down. And he simply you know, reached in with it unplugged and raised the prong. Yeah, you know, make sure you've got this whole breaker turned off. For me, it was a table lamp, so I knew it was unplugged. But for you, make sure it's completely turned off at the fuse box and just pull that tab up. And surprisingly, that did the trick. The lamp works amazingly. The guy didn't charge me. It was awesome. So this could be a simple fix. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's worth a shot. Anything's worth a shot. Oh, I know it is, because I thought, you know, it's really a pain to have to turn that off every morning. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely the easiest thing to do, Karen. Clearly, it's not getting power. You need to figure out why. Fix that. You'll be good to go, okay? Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Andrew in North Carolina is dealing with a plumbing issue. How can we help you today? bought a house about three years ago. Uh, it was built in the 1950s. Okay. And uh, two and a half baths. Um, we bought it. I had it replumbed. It's all modern PVC, CVPC, the whole, the whole bit. And uh, after that, after the one bathroom, whether you use the toilet, the sink, or the shower, on occasion it'll have a hum in the pipes. Uh, not consistent, no rhyme or rhythm. Um, then we had a new septic tank put in, and I was thinking maybe if they redid that, it was, something would change, and it did not change, and uh, we still have this problem. I was wondering what, what can be done to stop that. Well, the humming and noise in the pipe is probably caused by a valve that's not completely closing. So this could be the toilet fill valve, for example, as the toilet goes to refill. Sometimes if the valve doesn't fully close, you get sort of a vibration as the water continues to move over it. And that can cause that sort of what you're describing as a humming noise. It might just be a vibration or it could be something else somewhere down the line from that where you're running a sink or a faucet or something else that's just running water through the pipe, um, it has a bad valve associated with it, and that's causing that vibration, which is leading to the noise. Does that make sense as a possibility? I would understand that in, in the toilet, toilet but um, what about the sink? If you draw a cup of water, just that little bit, it'll cause it. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense because there's, you know, there are valves inside the sink faucets that this happens to as well. So if it's happening when you're letting water out or when the toilet's refilling, I would simply replace those valves. A toilet fill valve is very easy to replace, very inexpensive, probably about $10. Easy do-it-yourself project. Sink faucet, a little bit more money and not quite as easy, but, uh, you know, can be a do-it-yourself project if you can fit under the cabinet, you know, to get to all the... The, the fittings and the fixtures and the faucets and so on. But generally, it's a noise in the valve, and it's a simple fix. And the good news is that it will have no ill effects on the plumbing system whatsoever. So it's just more of an annoyance.
annoyance that you can make go away, Andrew, if you replace those valves that are affected. Okay? So Okay, so we replaced the toilet valve and the sink valve. That should stop it. That should do it. Okay, well, we'll give it a try. All right, Andrew, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit. You got to believe, buddy. You got to believe. Dana in Iowa, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Well, I have a shelf that needs to be cut down so it'll fit in the base of our A-frame cabins that we just bought in the Ozarks. And so it's about 20 inches tall, and it's about three feet long, and it kind of has those baskets that fit in it. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to cut it at an angle so that it fits back in there and it's not just sticking out into the the flooring space. So, Dana, what you need to do is that I mean, really, what you have to do is sort of resize this piece so that it will fit into that open bay portion so that it's not, as you say, sticking out into the room. And you really need to be creative with the angles to sort of figure out what needs to come out of where. Can you tell me a little bit more about this A-frame and the size of the shelf? Well, the A-frame is just a regular A-frame. It goes all Mm -hmm. the way from the top to the peak, all the way to the ground level. And um, so I was trying to figure out how do you figure the angle so that I know what angle to cut this shelf on. Well, there's a tool that you're going to want to get, T-bevel. And it's it's like a plastic handle with this sort of tic-tac oval-shaped blade that's got like Mm -hmm. a slide set in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. you're going to open that up. You can get that at any tool area, you know, at the home center. And you're going to want to okay. open it up and you put that right in the corner at the angle and then lock it in that position. And then you go ahead and put that at your T-square. And that's going to tell you exactly the angle that you need to cut at. Or you can then take that T-bevel and go right up to the bottom of your shelf, put it exactly where you're going to want to put that cut, and mark that line. Okay. Yeah, it's like an adjustable square, and it's called a T-bevel, and you should be able to find an inexpensive one. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mean, Leslie it really is going to save your day and make this the easiest project. I use that all, right. all the time for different types of fancy mitering cuts, and too, because there's a couple of tricks of the trade where you can you know, measure an angle and then divide it <clears> so that you can make a miter that ends up perfect uh, on, on both sides. But And we also use it sometimes to set the angle on saw blades, so I think you'll find that it'd be a very handy tool for this particular project. Okay, mm-hmm. Dana? All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. 
Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Well, if you're in the market for a new washer or dryer, you might be asking yourself if buying the most efficient one available is worth the additional cost. It's an important consideration because some washers and dryers use even more energy than a refrigerator. Yes, but while high-efficiency washers and Energy Star certified clothes dryers can cut energy, are these more efficient and much more expensive, I might add, machines a smart buy? Uh, the answer is a definite, it depends, right? <laughs> I mean, really, it's true. First of all, let's talk about how energy-efficient washers and dryers work differently from a standard appliance. Now, a high-efficiency washer is going to spin faster, use less water, and wring out more per load, and less energy use. Now, front loaders are still most popular, but top loaders are gaining momentum again. Now, high-efficiency dryers feature moisture sensors, and that's going to detect when the clothing is dry and then shut off the dryer automatically because normally they'll just keep drying until that timer runs out, but this one will turn off when the clothes are sensed as dry. And they also combine traditional vented heat with a heat pump, and that's going to cut costs and energy output by recycling that generated heat. Now, reviews for these high-performance washers and dryers have been pretty positive, but high-efficiency dryers do require longer drying times, meaning that more air is being vented outside. And that can have the effect of driving up your overall heating and cooling costs. Yeah, and that's not something that's calculated within those energy ratings. What's the impact on all of the heated and cooled air inside your house is being vented out. Now, if you want to choose the best high-efficiency appliances, here's a few things to look for. First of all, 
rely on the energy guide label. That's that big yellow sticker, and it shows yearly energy usage. You can use it to compare model to model in the same category. Now, as washers go, know that front loaders spin fastest, and they're the most efficient, and they're gentlest on the clothes, but they shake more, so you got to make sure they're absolutely level, and you may need to add what's called an anti-vibration pad underneath. It's kind of like a rubber block that sits underneath each leg. I've used them for years, and they work fine. Not that big of a deal, but you need to be aware that they exist and that you should be using them. Now, the top loaders cost about 200 bucks less, but they do save energy, and one perk, they let you add clothes mid-load, because there's always that extra shirt or whatever that you want to throw in the, the machine after it's started. Now, if you want to maximize your savings, look for labor savers. There's, we're talking about like the delay start settings that can let you preset cycles for when the utility costs are lowest, and quick wash cycles, another convenient feature. Uh, they work great for lightly soiled loads that need less cleaning and save you big in the process. They reduce the time it takes to wash your clothes by about 10% or more. The bottom line is, look, if you need a new appliance now, it's generally a good idea to always choose one that's ENERGY STAR rated. Considering the high amount of energy traditional models are going to use, you will most likely earn back the cost increase sooner rather than later, and you'll have a lot of nice features that you didn't have before. You in North Carolina need some help with a beach home. What can we do for you? Hey, Leslie and Tom. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. The uh, little quick summary. Uh, we bought a beach house last year that we live in full time. It was new but hadn't been lived in for four years. Basically, it's a reverse floor plan. With a reverse floor plan, which means you're living quarters are on the top floor and you're uh, sleeping. Bedrooms are on the second floor or below floor. Okay. And uh, when you're laying in bed at night, if the dogs are walking around or if anybody's upstairs, you, you know, you can hear through the ceiling and the floor. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out a way to dampen that noise or maybe soundproof, but, you know, the, the walls are intact, so I don't really want to tear everything out. And if you had any ideas how to retro some kind of dampening sound dampener. In the ceiling of the bedrooms, are you dealing with a lot of hi-hats or, you know, hardwired light fixtures? Like, would it be a huge pain in the butt to put a second layer of drywall up there? Really, the only thing that's on the ceiling is uh, a fan and a light. Well, there are a couple of ways to quiet uh, the transference of sound between rooms. Unfortunately, most of them require taking apart your existing ceiling or walls. There are especially types of wallboard that can go up that will deaden the sound. These are laminated wallboards that are designed to have sort of a sound baffling inside of them. I know Lowe's sells one called Quiet Rock, but replacing the wallboard is only part of it. You also have to get into the frame of the ceiling and seal up any gaps like where wires go through, plumbing vents go through, things like that, because it really is a comprehensive solution. And that's the right way, sort of the long way, to, uh, to, to, to do that. You know, short of that, I guess you could try to do this from the top side by replacing the floor, pulling the carpet up if that's what's down there, putting uh, some sound deadening underneath that, and then relaying it down. But it's kind of hard to chase it after the fact. The best sound deadening is done when the, when the walls are open and not drywalled. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. The, uh, I was trying to think of a way without you know, doing a big remodel. We've only been in here not quite a year. Well, you could put a second layer of drywall on. Maybe it wouldn't be as good as if you, you know, tore the whole thing out. But you could do something really inexpensively and use a product called Green Glue, which uh, basically creates sort of an, an insulation space between different layers of it. The Green Glue is still you know, pretty expensive, but it is designed to uh, stop some sound transfer. Have you ever heard of anything where I've been trying to work this through my mind, I just don't know enough about it. If there's any type of that, you know, maybe doing holes and using some type of expanding foam or something that would be designed to do that, maybe. You know, there's a rumor that insulating spaces like that will quiet the sound. And it, it does a little bit, but it doesn't make a big difference. So, no, I don't think you can do anything like that. Hey, well, I do appreciate your help. All right. Well, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Debbie in Texas is on the line and is dealing with a basement project. Tell us what you're working on. Well, I have a cement floor that right now has indoor-outdoor carpet that's glued down. And I'd like to peel the carpet up and then paint the floor. So my question is, what type of prep, once I get the carpet up, what type of prep do I need to do? And then what type of paint should I use? Now, have you started to try and remove this outdoor carpeting? Yes, we have, and uh, it is glued, and so there's, mm-hmm. there's a glue, I guess, base that's, that's on the floor, so we need to somehow scrape that off. Yes, and, that, and, and did you say this was a screened-in porch or a covered porch? No, it's, an indoor, it's indoors. Oh, it's completely indoors. Okay, um, that's going to make it a bit of a chore. The reason I was a little excited that you had a lot of fresh air while you were working is because you're going to need to use an adhesive remover if your plan is to paint this floor because you're going to end up with so much residue from that glue that's going to be all over and there's a good chance that it's going to be uneven and raised and spotty and some areas are going to have pieces of carpeting on it and it's going to be a mess. So you're going to have to find exactly what type of adhesive that is and what is the best remover for it because depending on what the base is of that adhesive will depend on what type of adhesive remover you use. So it's really going to be an experimentation to sort of see what works well. And then once you find what really is working well at loosening up that adhesive, I mean, you're really just going to have to use like a heavy-duty scraper and, you know, work on that glue residue until that's up. And then even then, your painted surface is going to look really not that great after all of that work. So I guess your recommendation would be go go back with indoor-outdoor carpet. Well, I mean, in a, in a lower-level space, carpeting really 
isn't the best idea, whether there's padding or not, whether it's glued or not, only because you're dealing with a dust trap that's sitting right on top of a concrete slab that tends to get moist. All of that moisture gets up into that carpeting, whether or not it's indoor-outdoor. Now, that moisture sort of sits with that dust and creates all sorts of allergens and mold and... You know, it's really not the best idea. Tile would work fantastically. And if you got that floor fairly even-ish, even with the adhesive, you could go ahead and do something with that with tile. Um, You know, it depends on what you want the space to look like. If you're okay with seeing an uneven surface and you want to paint over that, then an epoxy coating is perfect for, you know, a floor in that situation. But it depends. You know, I spend a lot of time in my basement, so I wouldn't want to see such an uneven floor surface, whether it was painted my favorite color or not. And what harm would come if I just peeled the carpet and scraped the glue, scraped it smooth, and then painted? Would the paint not stick if there was still old glue there? I mean, I don't think so. The, the, the systems like the epoxy coating systems are usually sold in kits. There's several steps. The first one is an etching or a cleaning step. Then there's your top coat that you mix in with, um, I guess, all, all of the different processes that sort of cures it and solidifies it. And some of them have that little decorative speckle, um, you know, and that gets sort of sprinkled in there at the end. And you want to work yourself out of a corner so you don't get trapped down there. But I mean, it should stick fairly well. It just, you know, is this a a utility space that you're strictly storing things in? Is this your family hangout? You know, you have to think about what that space is and how you want it to look. Okay, well, that gives me some ideas. I guess I first need to get the carpet up and see what it looks like underneath and go from there. All right, well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, cleaning windows is something that takes a lot of time to do, but have you ever felt that even after all of that work, they don't really look all that much better? Well, it might be because you're using the wrong cleaning materials. For example, rubbing glass with paper towels or even a cloth towel is going to create static. So before you know it, dust and dirt are sticking to that window all over again. Now, a better idea here is to use a squeegee. You just want to start at the top corner and move that squeegee back and forth while you move it down, like you're drawing the letter S. Now, here's the real secret. After each stroke, you need to wipe the blade of that squeegee dry. And not just with any towel, you need to use a lint-free towel like a cloth diaper or if you've got some old table linings kicking around because if you use something that's got lint in it you're just you know generating that static and that dust all over again now if your window has panes or dividers you want to use a utility knife to cut that squeegee down so it fits the exact width of the pane i mean after all you can use it over and over again why struggle with one that's too wide then when you use it be sure to pull it down in one single stroke you don't need any multiple strokes. You don't need any fancy store-bought cleaners. Just stick with the basics. You can use a homemade solution made of liquid detergent and warm water. And when it drips, use a cami cloth to soak up that extra water because it absorbs without leaving streaks. What you don't want to use paper towels. They get all over the place. All of that paper towel lint becomes a real mess. And that's why sometimes your window is going to look worse when you're done than before you started the project. Now we've got Steve on the line who's dealing with a vinyl siding issue. Tell us what's going on. I bought a house last summer and uh, was further uh, looking at it closely. I noticed that the uh, siding is severely uh, oxidized. And I was, I tried a little baby oil on a section of it and uh, it looked good for about a month, but. Uh, <laughs> baby <this> oil? One. <laughs> yeah. Baby oil? Well, is your house yeah. your baby? Mm-hmm. 
And houses certainly as expensive as children, that's for sure. You know, I could say it looked good for about a month. It brought all the color back to it. When those oils dry out, of course, that's that's going to be the end of it. Vinyl siding um, is not really designed for oil, but I will tell you this. There are paints that you can put on top of vinyl siding, so it is possible to paint a vinyl-sided house. That said, you know what comes after paint, don't you? Mm-hmm. Repaint. So, you know, once you start this process, you're going to end up having to paint it again, Steve. But you can paint vinyl siding. Uh, you just need to make sure. I would go to a, a Sherwin-Williams or a good quality paint supplier like that and make sure that you pick up a paint that uh, is rated for vinyl siding. Does it feel pretty easy? No, it's designed to adhere. That's why it has to be special for vinyl. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, Steve. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Well, getting a good night's sleep is one of the key foundations of being healthy and well, and a way to get better rest is to make sure you invest in high-quality bedding. But there are a lot of options, so how do you know which type of luxury sheet will suit you best? We're going to sort out the pros and the cons of the most popular types in today's Smart Spending Tip presented by Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card. Yeah, first of all, you know, cotton remains the go-to material for most bed sheets. It's easy to wash and care for, it's durable, and it's comfortable year-round. Now, it's also available in a wide variety of thread counts and colors. For example, organic cotton sheets, they're super soft and comfortable, they're machine washable, and they have little to no shrinkage, but they wrinkle. So if you hate ironing, you're not going to want to have those as sheets. A better cotton sheet option could be percal sheets. Now, These are a specific type of cotton sheet that's known for their super tight weave, and that's going to provide a smooth and satiny finish. That's going to give you an elegant feeling, and they also do not wrinkle. Like, these sheets are great. Now, bamboo sheets are another way to go. If you go with bamboo, the fibers are woven together into a fabric that creates a cool and comfortable sheet. And it's also an eco-friendly bedding option. There are four types of bamboo fabrics out there, so you want to read the label carefully. The most popular and most widely available is the bamboo rayon. But if softness of your sheets is the most important thing to you, then bamboo sateen sheets are more likely to be your best bet. Now, for those of you who want the best of the best for your money pit, cultivated silk sheets are legendary. I mean, they are super soft. They feel luxurious. They absorb perspiration. They resist mildew. Plus, they are naturally hypoallergenic and fire retardant. But, guys, they are very expensive. And since silk traps heat, they can be uncomfortably warm in the summer. And you also can't just throw them in the washing machine. I mean, silk sheets need, you know, dry cleaning, special care. So it's a lot of work, but they are fantastic. I mean, I have a silk pillowcase because it's good for your skin and your hair. And that thing's a pain in the butt. That's what I've been missing all these years. That's why you look like that. I need a silk pillowcase all this time. I didn't know. I'll get you one. I'll send you a matching scrunchie, too. (laughs) And that's today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card. Hey, we're all shopping for essentials online these days. Get rewarded for it with the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card. You could choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. And in Missouri's on the line with an insulation question. How can we help you? Hi, I don't have very wide walls in my home. And uh, so there's not much insulation between the outdoors and the indoors. And what I was wondering, I want to add to it, and so I was wanting to extend the walls out a little bit. 
I didn't know whether I should just leave the covering up and put a, a line of two-by-fours on it, or if I should take the wall covering off for the insulation. The walls do have some insulation in it now, and you want to know how you can actually improve? Yeah, I want to add to it, but I didn't know whether I should just take the wall covering off. And what kind of walls do you have right now? Are they two-by-four walls, or are, they, are those two-by-four wall cavities filled with insulation? When you say they have a little bit, how do you know how much they have and how much they don't have? I've looked uh, in between them. You know, I've, I've looked in the uh, outlets, Okay. and it's just cold in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, look, I don't think adding more insulation to the walls is going to be the solution to why it's cold. There's probably another reason it's cold. Now, the places to add insulation are in ceilings or, or floors. Those are easy to access to, but most importantly, ceilings. And if it's just plain cold there, you may not have enough BTUs of heat getting to that space. How is that area of your house heated? It's just a furnace, uh, gas. Ducks? What, what? Ducks. Like ducks, okay. And is this like an addition? Uh, nope. It's just my regular, my regular domain. So probably underneath more than any place, and up above would help tremendously. That's where you would add insulation, in the floor structure underneath and in the ceiling above, but not the walls. The walls you can seal, you can caulk, you can replace windows or doors that are drafty, but that's a difficult place to add insulation. The easiest place to add it is in the ceiling or the floor below, okay? Okay. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. One way to reach Tom and I and Team Money Pit is to send us an email through moneypit.com, just like Paul did. Now, Paul writes, how much smoke does it take to set off a smoke detector? The test button sets the alarm off, but I held it over an extinguished candle and the smoke didn't set it off. I keep spending more and more on things that I'm sure we don't need, but I also don't want to be an idiot and be unprotected. (laughs) We can appreciate that, Paul. Uh, Listen, using a candle to test a smoke detector not only doesn't work, it's potentially dangerous because the next guy to hear this is going to try to do it with a lit candle. It's really not how these things are built. I figured this was a good question, so I reached out to some folks we know at First Alert who gave me kind of the expert's spiel on this. And, And essentially, they said that the product owner's manual and the national guidelines are very clear. Alarms should never be tested with an open flame. Lots of reasons. First of all, it's dangerous. It could set off a fire. A consumer could inadvertently damage the smoke alarm. And a candle like that type of flame, or from a lighter or other source, is just not going to produce the same level of smoke that's needed to set off the alarm itself. So the only proper way to test an alarm is by pressing the test button. These alarms are tested in nationally recognized testing laboratories to a very specific approved recognized standard. It's actually called UL217 for smoke alarms or UL2034 for carbon monoxide alarms. And consumers should look for that mark from recognized testing laboratory before they purchase an alarm. And even more dangerous would be to attempt to replicate a carbon monoxide incident like running a car in a closed garage, because believe it or not, we've heard stories of people doing that. And some of them end very tragically, as you would expect. So this advice from First 
makes sense. As a consumer, you know, what you should be doing is testing those alarms regularly by pushing the button on the device to make sure that they work. And when you buy a new alarm, look for alarms that have the markings of a nationally recognized testing laboratory. Follow the guidelines. These alarms are designed to signal any issues, including a malfunction. So the chirps, for example, on the back of each alarm, usually there's a guide that tells you what they mean in the user's manual. That's important to follow as well. But do not test your smoke detectors with a candle or any other smoke or heat producing a device because you're just not going to get the right answer. All right, next up, we've got a post here from Laura. Now, Laura writes, I can get hot water out of my bathtub faucet if I take a bath, but I have no hot water out of the shower head. I've got water pressure, just water that's not hot. Any ideas about the problem? Well, the only way that can be happening is if the diverter valve has failed, and that's that mixing valve that mixes hot and cold and sends it up the shower pipe, basically, and out the shower head. The fact that you're getting water out of that shower head means it's not clogged, and the fact that you're getting hot water out of the tub spout means the water's getting that far. It's just not getting up out of the shower. So I think you got a bad diverter valve. You're going to need to get a plumber in there to fix that, Laura. You know, it shouldn't be a difficult project. shouldn't be an expensive project. I would go to homeadvisor.com and uh, find a contractor that's got some nice reviews and works in your area and start right there. All right. I hope that helps, Laura. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, thanks, guys, for spending this part of your day with us. We hope we've given you some ideas and information that helps you as you care for your Money Pit. Maybe we were able to help you plan a project for the future. We'd love to hear your questions. If you thought about a project you'd like to get done while you've been listening to us today, do us a favor, reach out and call us at 888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974, and we will call you back the next time we're in the studio. Until then, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a body pit.